Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. Amen. You may be seated. John the Baptist. He preached Christ faithfully. The stories of the Gospels don't begin with the birth of Jesus. They begin with the preaching of John, as John is the voice of the one who is to prepare the way for the Lord. It says in our Old Testament lesson for today, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. As every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the even, uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He is the one who proclaims the Lord is coming. He's on his way. And according to our lesson from Isaiah, this will be good news for the people because it is a message that is meant to comfort them because the Lord's arrival would mean pardon for their sins. As it begins, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And as we think about this, we must think about the preaching of John the Baptist. What did he say to the people? What was his cry as he was crying out in the wilderness? How did he prepare for the Lord's arrival? And when we look at what John preached, we see it's not a message of just pure, simple, be comforted. But it was a message that was meant to unsettle the people in their false comforts. It was to disabuse them of false things that they clinged to, hoping to be comforted by them. As he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Imagine that. Imagine this. In the same vein of John the Baptist, what if I begin my sermon by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of Christ is near, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit... Don't presume to take comfort in the wrong places, saying to yourself, I'm a lifelong member of Zion. I attended day school. I'm a fifth-generation member of the LCMS. I was confirmed in the eighth grade. I tell you that God is able from stones to raise up members of Zion, Zion School alums, LCMS members, and people who were confirmed in the eighth grade. Right now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, bear fruit, lest God come and cut you down and throw you into the fire. Comfort, comfort. Am I right? Ah, oh, yes. The message of John is just fine when it's thrown at those Pharisees and those Sadducees, but when it's directed at me, it can be unpleasant. John's preaching 
was meant to bear down false ideas of comfort. Always amazed at how we, we cling to things like a violated confirmation vows. People say, oh, I was confirmed in the LCMS. They get confirmed in their youth. They swear to be faithful, even unto death. They swear to make the confession of our faith their own and never depart from it. And then they disappear until it's time to get married or attend a funeral or baptize the kids they have out of wedlock. Or they feel that like they have fulfilled all righteousness by attending the Christmas program on Christmas Eve or coming to one of the Easter services. And yet they hear the word of God, they say we make this confession our own, and then they bear no fruit in their life. They choose not to live a life of continual and faithful repentance and trust in their Savior. They like to have the label, but not the life. And John's message was clear. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that means that the Christian faith is lived out in continual repentance. We hear keeping with repentance, and we want to think, well, I really haven't done anything all that bad. What do I need to repent of? I'm not that big of a sinner. I don't really need this whole repentance thing. This represents a failure to truly understand what sin is. One of our deadliest mistakes is that we look at sin and say, oh, not that bad, not that big a deal. And that's a false comfort. One of our biggest burdens, and one of the biggest burdens that I have and other preachers of the gospel have, is disabusing people of their false comforts. Oh, that one single sin, it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. Well, there's not a single sin that goes unnoticed. There's no such thing as a harmless sin. Every sin from laziness to gluttony, from murder to adultery, from larceny to rape, from gossip to foul language, represents a failure to obey God, a failure to love our neighbor. And these failures always result in some form of destruction. It always hurts something. It always hurts someone. The offense, ever so minor, will always have some sort of repercussion. Sin can always destroy God's good things. And so we think about maybe being just a little inattentive in our marriage and how that little bit of inattentiveness hurts later on. If you think about that little bit of negligence with our children and what pain that can bring to them in their future, what that little sin can do to a good reputation, or what that little, little bit of neglect can do to your very body. As all of our sins chip away at things that God calls good. And the little ones are often worse because we ignore them. And in those little sins, they often just nick, nick, nick. Until something is broken. And this is why John's call to repentance is so important. It's tearing down every false comfort and leaving us with only one. I can't cling to anything else. 
I can't cling to my rationalizations that say my sins aren't that bad. I can't cling to saying, well, I'm more Lutheran than the next guy, so that makes me okay. I can't cling to the idea that, well, I went through confirmation classes and I took communion once. I can't cling to the fact, well, say, that fools ordained me into the ministry for some reason, so I can cling to that as my hope of false comfort. No, every bit of it's stripped away because in every bit of it, I realize I'm a sinner. And I have one hope left, and it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's John's point. That's the one thing John would have us see. As John is baptizing in the Jordan for the forgiveness of sins, he continually proclaims, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He's saying one will come that will separate the wheat from the chaff. He will separate the sin from the saint. He will take away the sins of the world. The sin will be burned away. It will be taken off of us and be placed on him, the true sacrificial lamb. This is what John preached. It's not a false, ambiguous comfort to cling to, but it's the only enduring comfort there is. Jesus is the Son of God made flesh to die for sinners. This is what we preach. St. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And, but God shows his love for us that, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, this is the comfort. The comfort that Isaiah promised, the comfort that John the Baptist preaches. It is the comfort of the forgiveness of sins. And he preached with zeal, that John the Baptist he preached with so much zeal that he even called King Herod out for his sin. King Herod was living in adultery. He had spoken or stolen his brother Philip's wife, and the two were living in open sin and fornication. And so this public sin was called out publicly by God's prophet, and it landed him in prison. Now John's disciples, as they see this, as they see this one who preached the blessings of God, the ones, one who preached the forgiveness of sins, now, now all of a sudden they're confused. As John promised them the comfort of the Lamb of God, but now their teacher, he's in prison. As John said that repentance would bless them, but now John could be killed for his message of repentance. And isn't that how it often goes? As we think about it. As we turn from our sins, we expect that God will bless us, that it will improve my life. And that's often the message of many false preachers. They say, if you just believe hard enough, if you just do the right things, life will be better. You'll have more money. You'll have better health. Things will go better for you. But instead, we often find that when we repent of our sins, as we cling to the gospel of Christ dying for sinners, often sometimes life becomes more challenging. And we see it as we live in this world that rewards bad behavior or apathy or laziness and debauchery. We find that those rewards are often lost. We have a word from Jesus to describe this pain, this difficulty, this challenge. It's called the cross. 
As Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And our cross is lived out in imitation of his holy cross. His cross is a denial of himself. It is the humility of the Son of God, as Christ is the eternal Son, begotten of the Father. His rule is over all creation. All heaven declares his glory and praise, yet out of love for sinners and out of obedience to his Father, he denies himself to be born of a virgin so that he could die on the cross for sinners. We must never stop marveling at how magnificent it is that Christ came to us as a man, that the Son of God, to whom all the fullness of God existed, would subject himself to the birth and death of a human being, that he would hunger and thirst, that he would grow tired and need to sleep, that he would feel pain and suffer, that he would die at the hands of angry and lesser men. And this is often the cross that we are called to bear as we follow Jesus. This is the cross that repentance often brings to us as we are called to deny ourselves in the same way that Jesus denied himself. And that means that we're called to be faithful. We're called to live lives that are filled with faith. And that means that we live according to our Christian calling, trusting that it is simply good because God says it's good. It's worthy of my time because God says it's worthy of my time. God says it's a blessing because God calls it a blessing. Even if it doesn't yield the results that I want, we're called to trust in God. And this means loving and serving your spouse even when you don't feel like it or even when they've been rude to you. It means training up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, even when they constantly frustrate and disappoint you. It means attending the divine service on Sunday morning, even when I'm tired and stressed out and there's things I'd rather be doing other than this. It means confessing biblical Christianity, even if it makes you a laughingstock to your neighbors. It means abiding by your Christian conscience, even if it means losing your job. It means being committed to sexual purity, even if it means getting dumped. It is a denial of self in favor of trust in God. And this is what John the Baptist did. He called Herod to repentance. He lived in his God-given vocation as the herald of Christ, and it landed him in prison. And now what we see John's disciples are confused. But John isn't deterred. He heard about the deeds of the Christ. And he knows that the mission is nearing its completion. And so before his arrest, some of his disciples, they are discouraged. And so they notice that the crowds that are coming to John to hear his preaching are getting thinner. And that Jesus is now gaining all of the attention and all of the disciples. And so John's response is perfect. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. Whoever has the Son of God has eternal life. And this is what John does. John acknowledges Jesus as the bridegroom. 
John acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God who gives eternal life. John acknowledges that it's his time to decrease, that Jesus will increase. John acknowledges that Jesus is the one who gives life to dead sinners. So now as John's disciples are once again confused and scared, seeing John in prison, John does what every good pastor would do. He sends his disciples to Jesus. He directs them to him so that they can be comforted. And they needed it. Repentance, rejecting false comforts, bearing the Christian cross in our lives, it's hard. It requires pain and difficulty. These things are difficult, then life is already difficult enough on its own as the effects of sin and its curse bear down upon us in this life, as we already have to deal with sickness and sorrow, pain and sadness, death, money, greed, corruption, age, and every other common trouble in this life. And then we throw in the cross. And yet today is Gaudate Sunday. Gaudate means rejoice. Our intro, intro, it said it all. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Then we look at the message so far. And we say, sheesh. Self-denial. Rejection of false comforts. Repentance. Cross-bearing. It seems a little hard. Seems like I would rejoice without all that stuff. Yet we know better. We know that's not true. These things that we are called to reject do not give lasting joy. These things do not provide true comfort. Because these things are here today and gone tomorrow. Those little pet sins that we choose to cling to, those little false comforts, those selfish desires, these all waste away with time and leave us empty in the end. But there's true joy. There is enduring comfort that cannot fade in the presence of adversity or pain or sin or suffering. And John wants his disciples to know these things. And he sends them to Jesus. And he asks them to tell Jesus, to ask this question of Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? He wants them to hear the answer. And Jesus gives it to them perfectly. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the one. Look at the scriptures promised about my coming. I'm fulfilling them. Tell this good news to John. Believe in it yourself. I am your savior. Here is the evidence. I fulfill the word of God. I take sin away. Don't be offended by me. Rejoice in my coming. See, John was called to bear his cross. And bearing the cross meant for John... Remaining steadfast in the faith, even if it meant suffering in prison. Yet John's joy and comfort stood over and beyond all these outward circumstances. It could not be touched by Herod's wrath or the world's denial of him. His joy was rooted in Christ, his Savior. 
And this is what Jesus tells John's disciples. This is what comfort is. This is what joy is. It is the joy and the comfort that lives in and with Jesus dying for the sins of the world. It is the comfort that abides through our own discomfort. This is the gospel. It is the forgiveness of sins that Christ has won for us. It is the resurrection of our bodies that are torn apart by this fallen and wicked world. This is the promise. And so we look to John's example. And we see that even as he wastes away in prison, his hope and his comfort and the foundation of his joy is firmly rooted in Christ who has come. God has entered the creation to redeem John. And John believed in what he proclaimed. John pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so John knows that even if he suffers his own cross, Christ will suffer the greater cross for him, as Jesus will take away the sins of the world. And he does this by bearing the burden of our sins. As Christ is baptized by John the Baptist, he does it to fulfill all righteousness. As Jesus is washed in the Jordan by John, who baptized sinners in need of repentance, well, Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus had no sin. Rather, when Jesus is baptized, he's taking the place of poor sinners like you and me. He's taking upon himself the burden of every sin that we have ever committed, and he bears it upon his body. And in that body, he bears it even to death upon the cross so that the sin dies with him. He is the sacrificial lamb who was slain. And that means that his death is the atonement for our sins. As we read, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so what do we gain from all of this? Nothing but comfort. Comfort knowing that when we struggle in this life, God has not forsaken you. What does Isaiah say? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. When we face sorrow and struggles and pain and suffering and loss, when we endure through temptations, when we feel the weight and effects of our sins and the sins of our neighbor, as we experience every other discomfort in this life, we know that none of these things are an indication of God's wrath on us. That wrath has been appeased. It is paid for. His wrath has been poured about upon another because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when I suffer, I can never say, God hates me. God punishes me. God is rejecting me. No, it can never be true. I want to know why. Because God died for you. God loves you. As a Christian, I can only say that God has loved me perfectly. He has been perfectly gracious to me. He has shown me nothing but mercy. And why? Jesus has come into the world. He has died for me, a poor, miserable sinner. He has lifted me out of spiritual poverty into the riches of the kingdom of heaven. I have been lifted from sin and death to a living hope. As St. Peter says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. 
For he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. John the Baptist was comforted and was able to rejoice even in the throes of prison and suffering because he is a forgiven sinner. And so are you. And this produces a joy unlike any other. It produces joy because of who Jesus is. John had joy in Herod's dungeons. And we have this joy too. We have it in the means of grace. As the gospel is poured out upon us, how can we but rejoice? We have baptism that promises regeneration and renewal every day of our lives. We have the Lord's Supper that feeds us the medicine of immortality in the very body and blood of Jesus given for our forgiveness. We have ministers who are called to join in the ministry of John's preaching. We have the holy absolution that's given for the comfort of the faithful. We have the word of God that is God's testament of his care and love and redeeming poor sinners. And we gather today to bear fruit in keeping with repentance as we leave our sins behind and enter into the presence of God who is with us today. He pours out his divine mercy upon us. My friends, live lives of comfort. My friends, have joy. Life is hard, no doubt about it. Our sins are painful, no doubt about it. But what else is there? But the joy of the gospel of Jesus. The comfort in knowing that God has redeemed you. No amount of sorrow or pain or sin can take this promise away from you. If you are burdened by sin and suffering, Christ takes away the sin of the world. If you feel the weight of the world upon your shoulders and you cannot seem to manage under the weight of it all, Christ says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Take those words to heart. Trust in them. Trust in Jesus. And he will bring joy even in the midst of your sorrow. He will bring comfort that shines through pain. He will make your cross from being a cross of pain and sorrow to a blessed cross that you can embrace as you struggle in this life, knowing that God has never forsaken you. He will sustain you. He will bring about the fullness of life that cannot be known apart from him. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus has come to do for you. And Jesus sets out to do all that he has promised. He will accomplish it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, comfort your people who are weighed down by the sorrows and sins of this world. Relieve them of their struggles with the preaching of the gospel that forgives sinners. And in this, cause all to know the joy that endures even amid great sorrow, knowing that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.